And hello to you and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols and this is episode 154. It's titled, What Makes a Good Relationship? And if you're ready, we'll start the show. Hey pod fans, it's February. And you know what that means? Yep, Valentine's Day. One of the few reasons the high street shops still exist, so that blokes can rush into town straight from work and find the nearest card shop. But hey, if it helps keep the town centres alive, I can see the reasons behind it. So, with Valentine's Day replacing Christmas as the primary way of tricking you into parting with your cash, I thought I'd spend some time talking about relationships, because... Although I'm not a relationship coach or a couple therapist is what it's um, traditionally known as in the business, I'm a one-to-one therapist and couple counselling is a totally different domain, different rules, different methods, totally different. But a lot of clients will come to -to one-to-one therapy and discuss their relationships, past, present and future. And many of them, they say things such as, I don't know what a real relationship is supposed to feel like. And I think that in a society that looks at so many things in life as disposable, it can be very hard to think of something in your life as permanent. It might even be a bit scary. Which is why so many people say to me that they feel trapped when they're in a relationship, but they feel lonely and insignificant when they're not. Now, something I wrote about in my book, 15 Minutes to Happiness, available in all good bookshops, folks, is the problem with putting too much importance on a relationship when you're single. Because there are, and always will be, happy single folk. You don't need a permanent romantic partner to be happy in life. It's nice and all. But if you think that settling down and getting married is the only way to be happy, you could get quite disappointed. Because if that's your only expected source of contentment or happiness or security or whatever you think a relationship provides, then it could get quite unhealthy. I think a strong relationship is built not on two people who can't live without each other, but two people who don't want to have to live without each other. And with so many things, it all comes down to a proper balance, doesn't it? Because our brain is a bit stupid, really. It can actually make us focus on the things we fear quite easily. Any parent, new or not, will testify to that. As a parent, your biggest fear is losing your child. And because of that, from the moment they're born, they're they're constantly checking that they're okay. I did it. And I'm a therapist. King King of calm. Prince of optimism or whatever you want to call me. And still, I was doing that. And you don't just check that they're not uncomfortable. You, as a parent, especially with a newborn, you you are genuinely checking that they're, that they're not dead. For years, you, you creep over to them when they're asleep just to make sure that they're breathing. And as I say, I'm very much an optimist. Yet still, I used to do that. I'm looking for my biggest fear. Now, if one of your biggest fears is that your partner doesn't love you, then that's what you'll look for. But checking that a Checking that a baby is still alive and checking that love is still alive are two very different things. Unless you've given birth to Schrodinger's cat, you've got the answer right there to, is this baby alive? But a relationship? Well, as we say a lot, 
be careful what you look for because you just might find it. Not necessarily because evidence that your partner doesn't love you is actually there, but because you're looking for that evidence and find what you think is it in evidence of something else. Evidence that your partner is sleepy. Evidence that they've had a bad day. Evidence that they have a weird attitude towards affection because they were never hugged as a kid. But if you look for evidence that they don't love you, guess what you'll find? If you're looking for reasons to think of your partner as a nagging, criticising pain in the arse, then when they say, you're not going out like that, you look a state, then you won't see that as evidence that they care about you looking good and they, that they, they want everyone else to hold you in as positive a regard as they do. If they say, why aren't you wearing your coat? It's single-figure Celsius out there. Then you won't see that as evidence that they love you and care about you and they want you to be warm. These things will be a criticism instead. There are lots of different ways to say I love you, even if they aren't with words. Have you got your coat? I suppose is the, that, that, that common one. That shows they care for you. That shows they love you. They want you to be warm. Do they support you in any goal you might have or even a hobby? My wife helped me with a costume for a play I was in at the weekend. She didn't have to, but she could see that I needed help. And as well as sewing some star some sergeant stripes onto a tunic that I had, she made me a little belt holster for a truncheon out of some material she had lying around and offered me some advice on how to fake urinating into my helmet. It was a comedy, by the way. Quite a funny one, actually. Now, she didn't have to help me, but she loves me. And more importantly, I think she respects me. And vice versa. I'm sure I've said this phrase many times before. Certainly I say it a lot in the therapy room. But so often people say that the secret to a good relationship is communication. It's not. The communication is irrelevant if the other person doesn't respect what you say. Similarly, if someone's trying to tell you that they feel there's a problem in the relationship somewhere and all you do is plan a counter-argument to deflect any guilt, then you're not listening to what they say. Not necessarily out of disrespect, but nonetheless you aren't taking on board their issue. Now, there are common attributes to a great relationship. There's been surveys undertaken over the years where they ask couples how much in love they feel that they are. Bearing in mind that's going to mean something different to everyone. But you still get a, a picture of the, the strength of the relationship. And they ask them a few other questions and they look for common correlations with certain aspects and their overall feelings of love. In one research paper, put together by some professors at Stony Brook University in New York, they found that in couples married for over 10 years, less than half would describe themselves as being very intensely in love. In a countrywide survey, they came up with 40%. And when they restricted it to just the New York area, it was only 29% that described themselves as being very intensely in love. Now, there's lots of reasons why there's that countrywide difference between the city. It's probably not worth going into the very specifics because there are consistently lower levels of general happiness reported by people who live in the northeastern states of the US anyway, and maybe that's just a city thing. But what we want to know is, do those who think of themselves as being very intensely in love do anything differently to the other 60-70% to 70 of long-term married couples? Well as I'm sure you'd expect. 
People who said that they felt that they were intensely in love, which was seven out of seven on the how much in love are you scale. Why seven? I don't know. That crops up a lot. It's never up to ten. <laughs> in doing all these this this research for my book over the last the last twelve months, so much is being up to seven on on the scale. Fine, seven. So seven out of seven on the how much in love are you scale had lots of couples that said they had more positive thoughts about their partners. That's obvious enough. And they said that they thought about their partners more when they were apart. They also reported engaging in more novel and exciting activities with their partners. Now, we don't know which way the direction of causality is going here. Is it that thinking about your partner when you're apart keeps the love alive? Or is it that the love still being alive after 10 years of being together encourages you to think about them when you're apart? It's likely this goes both ways, I think. Similarly, on these surveys, frequent affection, such as holding hands, hugging and kissing, was also more common among those who described their love as intense. And it's worth mentioning here that affection doesn't mean sex. There is more to our satisfaction in relationships than how often a couple has sex. In this study, and plenty of others, fairly low-level displays of affection in the relationship were more important in creating the experience of intense love than how often people had sex. In fact, 9% of the sample actually reported not having sex in the past month. Yet plenty of these people still reported being very intensely in love with their partners. That's 7 out of 7. You can't be any more in love, they said. But of those that reported no affection in the last month, which was 4%, none of them reported intense love. Again, we don't know whether feeling loved up promotes more affection or if more affection leads to more intense feelings of love. Probably both. The odd thing to come out of the study is about marital satisfaction. As well as asking for ratings on how in love they felt and how physically attracted they were to their partner, the researchers also asked about satisfaction with the marriage itself. And what they found is that people who reported low satisfaction still reported intense love for their partners. Interestingly, the correlation with physical desire and intense love was actually strongest in people who reported lower relationship satisfaction suggesting that couples with issues that could lower marital satisfaction, such as, I don't know, disagreements over housework or money or how to raise their kids or whatever, can still have a very strong physical connection and an intense love for each other. Is this because the only relationships to survive its problems are the ones with great love and physical attraction? Or is it that relationships with high positive emotions will also create high negative ones too, maybe? Or is it a bit of both? No matter what, I think what this research and others like it shows is that there are no rules when it comes to relationships. It's totally subjective. Don't get me wrong, there are common themes to happy relationships, but a lot of them all have the same foundations. Relationship coaches will sometimes say that that you know your relationship is strong because you know who your partner's best friend is. Things like that. And you can identify traits in their best friend that your partner likes, so you understand that person better. Yeah, that makes sense. It's often said that you, you, a good relationship 
is evidenced by the fact that you know what your partner's favourite book or TV show is. And you know about their goals, their dreams, their aspirations. All these things revolve around the same thing. Taking interest in them, listening to them, talking with them, learning about them. And all of those things have the same foundations. Respect. So if you don't think you have that with your partner, and you're also a little unsure as to whether or not you're even in love, then maybe there are a few things that you can do. One thing you can do is spend a moment or two thinking about some of their traits that you admire. Something about them maybe that you're slightly envious of even. Something that you would like to have as a trait as well. Share that with them. Let them know that. See if they can do the same thing. And if they can't, right there and then, come up with the traits in you that they admire because they're being put on the spot. To have enough respect to leave it be and let them think about it over time. Because as we already know, thinking about each other when you're apart is regularly reported as a signal of a good relationship. If you've got kids together, what positive qualities has your partner passed on to them? And this could be stepkids or adopted children. Nurture is just as much of an influence on personality as nature is. Quite a lot. More, maybe, in some respects. But as well as being able to focus on the positive side of your partner, see how you can process any negative traits about them in a healthier way. Like judging their behaviour rather than seeing their flaws or weaknesses in a generic fashion. What I mean by this is that you're able to recognise that them leaving the cap off the toothpaste or their shoes on the stairs or wet towels on the bathroom floor or whatever is an annoying and possibly inconsiderate behaviour, but not that they are an inconsiderate person because of it. Separating the behaviour from the person, you see. Just as you, you would with, with children. That's what, that's what you do when you bring up kids. Similarly, if you can have a disagreement over something, but you're still able to see that your partner has valid points even if their opinion is different to yours, then you're in a good place with them. Again, this all comes down to respect for each other. And although this attitude is probably useful in any sort of relationship, it's more than useful in a romantic one. In fact, it's vital. Right then, you beautiful people. I think it's time to move on with the rest of the day because we're coming up to 15 minutes. I don't know when you're listening and what you're doing, but it's a Wednesday late afternoon for me and I need to organise an evening meal before my good lady wife comes home because um, whoever gets home first has that responsibility. That's how we tend to structure it in our house. Unless it's a specific meal that she quite enjoys preparing, in which case I'm told rather angrily to flaming well leave it alone. But no such message today, so we're having what I want tonight. Hurrah! I love my wife. I dedicated the book to her. She means that much to me. She's she's kind and funny and beautiful, and she's probably going to hear this at some point. Uh, so I'll reiterate the kind, funny and beautiful sentiment. Before I leave you for today, have a great February, and I'll be back next time where we'll do it all over again. Ta-ta for now.